0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Mercer's Energising the Employee Experience podcast. Here at Mercer, we're a global consulting leader across talent, health, retirement, investments, and of course, employee benefits. For more details, please visit us at uk.mercer.com. In this podcast series, we're going to be exploring the future of work, the latest trends, and of course, all the big topics in HR. I'm your host, Jack Curzon, Consultant Director here at Mercer. And each week, I'm going to be joined by colleagues of of mine from Mercer and Wider, um, who are going to share all their ideas, their experience, and their insights. On today's episode, we're going to be covering well-being, and I'm really excited and looking forward to today's episode, and I'm joined by colleagues Wolfgang Seidel and Alana Ray. So first of all, if we could get some introductions to our uh, guests, Alana, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and then Wolfgang afterwards.
1: Thanks, Jack. Um, So my name is Alana Ray. I am the uh, Specialties Growth Leader with an MMB and have been at Mercer for about nine and a half years now. Um, I've had a variety of different roles throughout that time, um, but I'm really enjoying um, being a passionate advocate for well-being and really thrilled to be here to talk with Wolfgang and Jack and to you all today.
2: Thank you. Great to be here with you today Jack and Alana and thanks for that introduction. I'm Wolfgang Seidel and I lead workplace health consulting at Mercer Marsh Benefits. Many of you will probably know me by background. I am a medical doctor and psychiatrist and ROI researcher. Really looking forward uh, to the discussion.
0: Brilliant. Amazing to have you both on board. I know it's going to be a super episode. I wanted to take a bit of a step back first though. Well-being is a huge word It means so many different things. Uh, Some companies may even overuse it a little bit, I think. But what does well-being mean to you in this context? Uh, Let's go with Wolfgang first.
2: Thanks, Jack. Uh, Good question. Uh, I mean, well-being has a variety of dimensions, but we will get to the academic bits later, I'm sure. So to try to go to the essence of it, I would probably say it means flourishing. But many people now say that they are actually more languishing than flourishing. And many authors have uh, reported that um, employees uh, feel like they are sort of in a between stage between being their best self that is flourishing and, uh, and full depression. I mean, if we go back in history a little bit, the World Health Organization made a brave attempt to frame health positively by saying in 1948, Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. That, I think, is difficult to achieve and potentially alienating some people because it's so comprehensive and hence almost meaningless because health is on a continuum and not an all-or-nothing experience. So either the full presence of physical, mental, and social well-being or the full absence of it. So how about making it simple and... uh, I like to go back to my Austrian roots and uh, and quote Freud, who said, you know, it's being able to work and able to love. So let's start with that one. It's pragmatic and yet a deep definition, in my view, if you like. And what I like for the purposes of our discussion today that that being able to work and able to love also alludes to the fact that work is actually good for us. Research clearly suggests that people who lose their job and are keep being made redundant. Some of those colleagues have psychological scars for a a long time that you can measure even 10, 20 years later in psychological tests. So what we can infer from there is that work in principle is part of what makes us human with a sense of purpose and what makes us happy if you like, but it has to be good work. So what we are returning to now shouldn't be just the same old, same old, but it should be a place of good work.
1: I completely agree, Wolfgang. And I I love that being able to work and being able to love. Um, And I think bringing the emotion to the science is so important when we're talking about well-being. So I think from my perspective, when I think about well-being and what it means, it's about a balance. And if not a level of ecstatic happiness all the time, certainly contentment and a buoyancy to manage and deal with the knocks that life throws at you in the most resilient way possible. Um, I think it's really easy for some of those those levels of resilience to be depleted. And when you can be really quite unaware that that's happening, and then suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you you feel really quite unwell, and you don't quite know how to get yourself out of that. And so I think for me it's really thinking about balance. Um, I'm sure for many of us the past 18 months or so have been a real challenge to everybody's mental health and mental well-being. And so focusing and taking the time and energy about that rebalance to me is really what what well-being means.
0: Thank you. I completely agree with both of you. I um that that balance element is I think key when you consider all the different areas of well-being. Also um other list, our listeners may recognize Wolfgang from another episode we have done on mental health in particular. And on that episode, he managed to slip in a Freud quote within minutes as well. So he's managed to do the same again in this episode, which is fantastic. Well done, Wolfgang, on the consistency. No, thanks, um, one thing I just wanted to cover here is, is how... I think wellbeing is quite personal to to individuals and, you know, different elements will be important than others. What do you feel the different dimensions are to wellbeing or the different particular areas, Uh, Alana, first of all?
1: Um, I think there's been, there's been a lot of work on, you know, do we have four pillars? Do we have eight dimensions? Again, we can look at the specific science, the specific different elements that that are in play. Um, and I think we can get into that. And I'm sure Wolfgang will, will bring much more color to some of those different areas. But I also think it's so important that we think about the supporting factors. Well-being doesn't exist in isolation and you can have pillars and you can have dimensions. But again, it comes to that balance. It comes to the external environmental factors, the culture that somebody's in. All of those things are such an important aspect to somebody being well. So again, we can't just clinically always look at things in isolation. We need to think we need to think much more broadly. And um, but, as I said, I'm sure Wolfgang will uh, elaborate on some of those dimensions in more detail.
2: To be honest, I think you have captured the essence as usual, uh, Alana, and it's left to me <laughs> to come in with uh, the science bits, but only very briefly, and then I will like you, also give you my subjective view on it, but those eight dimensions that you alluded to are worth referencing, I think. We talk about emotional, physical, social, financial, intellectual well-being, spiritual well-being, environmental and occupational well-being. And the reason why I like uh, referencing them all, and you see the roll of my tongue quite easily, I must have said them before, is because I think those dimensions demonstrate that we shouldn't medicalize every unease associated with well-being, but tackle proactively things like work design or culture, inclusion, management skills, just to make the workplace more human and more productive, just as you said, Alana. Because when we say spiritual well-being, we, of course, mean purpose and meaning at work. When we say environmental well-being, we mean an environment that allows us to thrive and to be Psychologically, ourselves to use that concept of psychological safety, where you can bring your whole self to work and take risks to be more productive and and work towards your goals and your purpose. That's what uh, gives life uh, gives life meaning. And also, when we say intellectual well being, we mean human beings want to be stretched. We don't want to be just on a conveyor belt without having any input over the workflow and have no control over our workflow. We have also learned during the pandemic, there's nothing more important than, than a social support system. So social well-being that has often been neglected in, in corporate health strategies has come to the top of the agenda because we know that people who have a good social support network are less prone to developing stress, anxiety, or depression issues, or even physically issues so I think it's really important to look at those dimensions and make them as many as eight as we just have and also to consider that there is no strict dividing line between uh, physical and mental health for instance because as human beings we always have both elements uh, um, active at the same time.
0: Absolutely Um, so We've we've touched a little bit on what has been going on in the past 18 months. Alana, you specifically referenced that. Um, and, and obviously Wolfgang talking about the pandemic. We are starting as an industry and certainly in the HR community to start looking at what the new world looks like and what the future of work looks like. How do we go back to working practices? I'm personally I'm really comfortable with the concept that we're never going to go back to how it was before, um, but I also am comfortable that we're not going to continue working perhaps the way we are right now. There's going to be a new balance, you know. going back to your comments as well, Alana, on balance there. What do we feel like well-being looks like in this new world of work in the future?
2: Yeah, I think, um, uh, Jack, if we look at what's happening, there's a remote revolution underway. There is a lot of exhaustion and languishing, as I mentioned earlier. That's the here and now that we need to address before we even start becoming more creative in our conversation. And as you say, uh, those who are sort of creative and constructive among us don't really want to go back to exactly the same place that we came from. But we want to go back to a new way of working. And if you like, um, a new health driven employee value proposition that energizes uh, employees and where we proactively tackle work design to be healthier uh, for employees and i think employees really need a positive reason to come back to the to the office if you like uh, why would you invest in the journey of uh, of commuting if there's nothing on the other side that really enhances your well-being and your productivity and um, so if, if I may, I have sort of observed what I would call four mega trends during the pandemic as well. And one is that the role of experts has actually been elevated. Um, that um, was not necessarily the case in at least the political discourse before the pandemic. But now we have learned that, you know, experts helped us create a way out by uh, f- uh, finding vaccines, for instance. But in the day-to-day um, corporate setting it also means that we want evidence-based and data-driven interventions particularly health and well-being strategies and programs and not just some that are built on anecdotes then the second big mega trend would be innovation uh, and again that was necessary to help us um, out of the pandemic on a big scale but it also helps us in our day-to-day work that. Uh, It's one thing just to be a problem solver as a manager and another one to be an innovator. And um, then there is that thinking outside the box that's needed now more than ever. We also found as a third mega trend that collaboration is key and collaboration uh, amongst scientists worked pretty well actually when they exchanged information on vaccine developments. It didn't always work so well when... Uh, vaccine nationalism kicked in but we saw that we are more successful as a team and that we need um, uh, collaboration and that is also in the workplace we have talked about psychological safety briefly so if we are joining a team where it's okay to take risks to to trust each other we will be much more productive and i'm not quoting the research now because i have done that before that one is more productive in psychologically safe environments and i dare to say you know, office politics and selfishness is so outdated. We have learned that as well. And the fourth uh, mega trend in my view is, is resilience. And resilience uh, means adaptability. And I think Alana phrased it really well when you asked her about how she would define uh, well-being. that it is actually being flexible and being able to adapt rather than being strong. And, um, and that resilience has proved itself as a necessary ingredient for uh, supply chains uh, during the pandemic, but of course, very much so the big theme of resilience of people. And if I may just expand a little bit more, I think what, what's going on in terms of organizational culture in the post uh, COVID world is that we were forced to work uh, away um, uh, from the office. And now when we are rethinking the office environment, we have learned that the physical conditions of our office are really, really important. And some simple things that everyone can do that are almost simpler than we we believe is to change uh, the office environment and make it greener and have access or windows uh, to the natural environment. That increases uh, people's well-being by 15 to 20 percent, something as simple as that. But we want to make the office safe as well. And we want to make the office safe for for a variety of colleagues, not just for some people who are comfortable coming to the office for socializing and collaboration space. There are some colleagues who are uh, probably uh, on the spectrum of neurodiversity who need a predictable space. So we also need to design for them. We must never design just for an average employee, but also for the extremes. That's what we learned from design thinking. And um, we, as I mentioned, nature has t- t- turned out to be really important to us physically and emotionally to connect with green spaces, but also the sustainability um, uh, d- discussion uh, has moved center stage and organizations are increasingly aware of their carbon footprint and their corporate social responsibility. So it's likely that businesses and employees may start appreciating the opportunities in reducing their impact on the environment by introducing flexible working and cutting unnecessary travel and so on. Flexible working, another big topic that's inextricably linked to work-life balance that uh, also Alana mentioned before, and um, where people are allowed to look after their dependents and yet be as productive as my clients tell me as they have ever been before, or even more productive at the same time. And and then there is that aspect of uh, psychologically uh, safety, not just physical safety, that we have mentioned before. So I'm really excited by the idea of uh, returning to work and not accepting uh, the status quo, but to 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 develop something new together. And however incremental the difference is, it will be uh, significant, I guess.
1: I just get absorbed when you talk all the time Wolfgang and um, it's hard to keep my it's hard to keep my own thoughts um, running along concurrently um, but I think there, there's obviously so many different points there and for me the culture and environment as I kind of touched on previously I think is so important when we're thinking about what this new world of work looks like and making sure that people are supported in the right way in individual ways um, and and I think there's a lot of work that organisations need to do because we're in such a different space. And there's an element of when the pandemic started, we had to adapt overnight. What I'm really seeing now is that we know this return to normal, return to office, return to work for those who maybe haven't been able to work is now going to happen. There's an inevitability of it. And actually, I think that creates quite a lot of, anxiety for a lot of individuals and a lot of uncertainty because they're not sure what that's going to look like or how it's going to work or what it means for them. And so for me, I think if I'm thinking about it from an organizational perspective, trying to give clarity to employees is so important because every individual... They may, they may deny it, wants an element of control. They want to be able to have that predictability. They want to know what's going to happen and what the future holds for them. So I think for me, that's the role of the organization is to really give as much clarity as possible. And of course, to Wolfgang's point, that kind of flexibility and all of that needs to be embraced within the wider cultural and environmental aspects that that piece around psychological safety is just so important if in order to be well in order to be fulfilled at work you need to be able to know that you can fail and be supported and that you have the trust and the backing of all of your employees and and your business so I, I completely agree I think it's it's a really exciting time and I'm I'm intrigued massively to see what organizations are going to start to do to really support this new phase of of working
2: You know, Alana, what I would like to ask our audience, unfortunately an imaginary (laughs) audience at that stage, but what's so exciting for me is to prompt people and say, you know, cast your mind back to when you went into the world of work. For some of you that may have just been a year ago or half a year ago, for others it's decades ago, but what did you expect when you started work originally? What was your dream? Is there a chance you might now choose that opportunity or seize that opportunity to reconnect with that dream? So what, um, if you could make work better for you, what would you do? What would be different? So I don't think we need to answer that for ourselves because we have alluded to where we are coming from. I guess it would be really exciting to enter into that imaginary dialogue with our audience and maybe people will write to us afterwards. But I think that's sort of the source of our creativity to reconnect with what made us tick in the first place when we went to the world of work.
1: Absolutely. And I think that will be shaped by so many different things for every single individual. I don't think we would get one cohesive answer. Um, And I suppose that's part of the challenge uh, for organizations in, in trying to address it, but agreed it would be. It would be really wonderful to explore that further if we, uh, if we could. Maybe we'll do a webinar on this. Yes. I
2: know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you and I often say, also that health and well-being is the new frontier in the DE and ITs course, because ultimately, as you were just alluding to, there are so many intersectionalities that uh, everybody will have their unique take on it, and yet organizations could take that and turn it into a into a proper evidence based strategy you know, employee listening should be at the basis of a good strategy. And then, of course, we as managers want to also learn how we can better meet your expectations as members of our team. That's crucial. And we do talk in Mersa a lot also about uh, how important EQ is alongside IQ in order to be a good leader.
0: Absolutely. I, th- I Even the, the comments you're making there, I, there's so many things you've said you know, a bit Alana, you just said how engaging Wolfgang was the pair of you talking together. I've you know, it's difficult for me to remember I'm meant to be hosting a podcast here and asking you questions on the back of it, because I'm totally engrossed in the things that you're saying as well. Um just to put out a few things, you know, Wolfgang talking about the 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 office environment being key. I think that the kind of value for money comment you made is going to be huge in the future. If people are going to invest their time and their money in a different way than they were before, potentially daily tickets and things like this, what are they going to get out of that journey? And we almost want to flip it on its head, don't we, and create office environments, which are so compelling that people want to come in irrespective of what their work-life balance is like um, I'm also a big fan of um, the concept that people are all, all on an individual journey when it comes to well-being, and they may be in a state of health that is positive or negative. But we've got to at least capture that moment and improve it, rather than waiting for it to potentially go go sour and then offering them an insurance-based product solution to interact with them once it's gone wrong. I think that's that's critical. And the last thing I just wanted to mention also was, Alani, you spoke around providing the clarity uh, as an organisation, and obviously the first thing I think about there is communications. But it goes so much deeper than that because it's it's providing that feeling that you mentioned that you've got my back, I'm protected, you know, I'm looked after as an employee, which I think is is also really key. And um, the last question I wanted to ask though. Is, is more around people's needs and we touched on it a little bit there and I think that's kind of the million dollar question right and when I think about you wind the clock back 10-15 years people weren't talking in the workplace about their mental health the way they are now they weren't talking about even their financial health the way they are now how are people's needs changing and what do you think that looks like for the future or at least you know for, for the immediate future right now?
1: So I will uh, share some thoughts. Um, to start us off, I think it, it's it's broadened massively, Jack. And you've just touched on that. Um, there's been a lot of focus around physical well-being, mental well-being. We're now seeing a, a far greater increase in financial well-being and social well-being. Really, having kind of come to come to the fore. And I think the um, the interconnectivity between all of those. The, all of those things i think 42 percent of people struggling with um mental health issues were struggling financially so that kind of statistic can really help to to prove the the um the connectivity between them all so i think there is there is a broadening but it it does come to the points we were just touching on and you raised there individualization we've been talking about things like flex Benefits and and how important it is for a personalised and individual journey um, with regards to benefits for for a while now, but actually we've still quite often taken a one dimensional approach when we're looking at wellbeing, and saying we've tackled wellbeing because we've got an IPMI plan or an EAP or whatever it might be. That breadth of services and support that's required for a workforce is so important because there's a lot of different solutions that people can interact with in very different ways and people may feel more comfortable or less comfortable interacting with different you know, vehicles for support. And so I think that that to me is really important that we just reflect that bread that's needed um, and the way in which that support can be engaged with, I think is, is massively important. Um, and I think the other point is engagement and it was to, relates to your point around um, communication there, Jack. It's so important. An organization, an individual can have all of the apps on their phone, all of the support and services available to them. But if they aren't engaged, if they're not communicated, they don't know what exists and they don't understand enough about when to interact with different services to support them, they can't take that decisive action to become more well in whatever area they may need support. And so I think there's a lot of different ways in which we can you know, help to inspire and engage and you know look at different medias and ways in which to communicate with with different people. Again, taking into account that personal aspect, the individual aspect. Some people may love reading an email. some people might love watching a video, listening to a podcast, whatever it might be, we need to be broad, we need to be diverse, and we need to understand that different people will want to engage in different ways.
2: I really like the way, uh, Alana, how you started talking about surveys and data is, of course, important, but how you quickly moved from diagnostic to root causes, because that, I think, is really the higher school of doing health and well-being management, because we can lament about data points going up a little bit or a little bit down, uh, and that has no real impact, whereas there are causes, root causes, that can be tackled, as you were saying, sometimes mental uh, distress is based on financial worries. So that's a root cause. So it could be based on discrimination or harassment. That could be a root cause, you know, and uh, we have a lot of inequalities in health that have unfortunately raised their ugly head again during the pandemic. So we need to look at those inequalities and, and who has access and who doesn't have access to good health care. The other point I want to add perhaps is... Um, Uh, Going back to Jack's question as well, I think the discourse will evolve uh, in terms of mental health as well. As you were saying, we are more willing now uh, than 10, 15 years ago, uh, as you said, to to talk about mental health or financial well being. And yet, you know, we are doing it still a bit tentatively. So people say, oh, I have mental health worries. And that's a step in the right direction. But I think in another five or 10 years, people will be able to address what worries them as opposed to using mental health almost as a sort of uh, sticking plaster or as a generic terminology. I have mental health issues. At, in, at some stage people need to say, oh, I'm really depressed today or I'm sad. I'm not clinically depressed, but I'm sad or I'm anxious. You know, once we start naming things, we will be much better able to, to address them. So it's very often that we use words as euphemisms and mental health is sort of somewhere in between it is a step in the right direction but it turns into a slight euphemism where everything is mental health now and nobody knows exactly what that means day to day for a particular person in a particular environment and circumstance.
0: Wolfgang that's so interesting I completely agree I think People are quite forthcoming with talking about potentially things like diet and nutrition. You know, I need to eat better or I've eaten rubbish this weekend or something. If we get to a place where we're openly talking about current mental health struggles or even financial, because that seems to be still so personal and taboo, doesn't it? Like, I haven't got much money this month. It's such a shamed thing to talk about. If we can get to a stage where people are openly talking about these things, it's only going to progress the whole well being environment. Into the future in such a positive way, so uh, yeah, amazing insight, both of you. Thank you so much for the insight in today's episode. It's been so interesting, and a lot of the things you've brought to the table aren't things that are being commonly spoken about. They're much more strategic and much more deep for the impact for me, rather than just talking about put in place this scheme to solve your problem, which is so so narrow. So, thank you so much for the contribution for our listeners, um, Wolfgang and. Alana's contact details will be available in the episode notes i hope everyone's enjoyed today's episode thanks so much for listening please make sure you subscribe and get the latest content if you've got any particular questions then please also reach out to us at mercer.uk at mercer.com or visit the website on uk.mercer.com thank you so much and catch up on another episode